God, as we gather, Lord, under the banner of Jesus Christ, Lord, we are looking to your word and are so thankful for Hebrews 4 that tells us that your word is alive and active, that it is sharper than any two-edged sword. Lord, it, uh, it, it reveals the intentions of the heart. And God, we pray that you would reveal our hearts this morning, that you would expose us. Lord, there are things in our lives that we would rather keep hidden. And so God, I pray by your word through your spirit, Lord, that you would uh, reveal things that we need to confess to you, that we need to repent of. Lord, I pray that you would help us, Lord, as we look to Daniel 6, that you would be our guide and be our teacher. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we are nearing the end of our study uh, in the book of Daniel as we look to the sixth chapter this morning at what is likely the most well-known story in all of the Bible, Daniel and the Lion's Den. I'm sure if you ask anybody, uh, even if they don't attend church or if they wouldn't call themselves a Christian, they could tell you that Noah had an ark, David had a Goliath, and Daniel had a lion's den. And while biblical literacy is always a positive Every person in this room faces the same struggle when it comes to Daniel chapter 6, familiarity. Familiarity is a struggle. It's even a danger when we assume that we know the full meaning of a passage just because we've heard it before. We can take this well-known story and we can reduce it into just a nice, cute story. This is likely a, go, a go-to bedtime story for many of us as parents or grandparents telling our children and grandchildren about uh, Daniel and the lion's den, how Daniel snuggled up to these beasts and how God protected them. And yet, I want to remind us this morning that there is nothing cute or tame about Daniel chapter 6. Unfortunately, we have the tendency, whether we know it or not, to domesticate this passage to empty it of its power and make it cute and nice and remove the challenge and the conviction that's here for us today. So I want to remind us today that this is a ruthless, terrifying story, that one of the servants of the living God, Daniel himself, is almost eaten alive by a bunch of hungry lions. There's so much in here. We're going to spend the next several weeks on this one chapter uh, alone. And so in light of that, I wanted to spend a couple of minutes here just framing this chapter by naming uh, what might be the elephant in the room. I don't know if it's just me, uh, but maybe you as well are wondering, wait a second, haven't we covered this story before? This sounds very familiar to Daniel chapter 3. Just change out fiery furnace and put in the lion's den. It's basically the same account with the same application and the same principles. And while some of that is true, there are similar themes that both stories involve God's people remaining faithful in the face of persecution. Both stories contain God's miraculous deliverance. Both stories contain accusations by pagan officials against God's people who refuse to compromise in their faith. And both stories end with a decree from the king to all people, all nations, all languages, proclaiming God's power and might. So you might be wondering, why the repetition? Again, just change out fiery furnace with the lion's den, and it's the same story. Well, not exactly. In fact, there are two main differences 
that are really important to understand because it helps us place this passage in the larger story of Daniel, and it places this chapter in the larger narrative of all of the Bible. Okay, so the first main difference I want to just make us aware of is that the demand within the ultimatum that's placed before God's people is different. Okay, there's an ultimatum placed before Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in Daniel chapter 3, remember, That ultimatum was, you must worship this statue, this other idol, this other God, or it's death by fiery furnace. But in chapter six, here with Daniel, the demand is, you must not worship your God, Yahweh, the God of Israel, or it's death by uh, the lion's den. So they're, they're different, and I think they're different intentionally to show us something. Daniel is taking all that we learned from chapter three in the episode of the fiery furnace. And he's building upon it by reminding us of the importance of not only avoiding idolatry, but he wants us to understand that we must avoid compromising in our faith by neglecting true worship of God, even in the face of persecution and death. He's telling us that neglecting to worship God as he rightly deserves is as much a denial of the true God as bowing down to idols. In other words, failure to worship God as he rightly deserves is no different than idolatry. And the reason for that is because we're always worshiping all of the time. That God has made us in such a way as we are unable to turn off that worship button. We're always worshiping something. It comes down to what or who that we are worshiping. And if it's not God, it's something else, which is idolatry. So Daniel 6, I think, is playing a significant role in challenging us by demonstrating what true worship looks like in the face of temptation, in the face of persecution. This is something that God's people historically lacked, which got them into this mess to begin with. That's the first main difference. The second main difference, though, is that unlike chapter 3 with King Nebuchadnezzar, King Darius in chapter 6 did not formulate, nor did he want to carry out the policy against Daniel that would lead to Daniel's death. Chapter 3, King Nebuchadnezzar was furious at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego for not worshiping the statue. He wanted them to die. He wanted them to burn alive. King Darius had a different posture, a different attitude towards Daniel. He wanted to even change the policy. He was worried about Daniel when he was thrown into the lion's den. And that change, that contrast is intended to mirror the changed status of the captive Israelites. This is important because under Babylon, under King Nebuchadnezzar, They were exiled from their own land. But now under Persia, under King Darius, they will be allowed to go back to their land. Ezra chapter 1, 1 Chronicles chapter 36. Under Babylon, under King Nebuchadnezzar, the temple was destroyed. Under Persia, though, King Darius will allow them to rebuild the temple, according to Ezra chapters 3 through 6. And this change, this contrast between Nebuchadnezzar and Darius is demonstrating how God brought a change within his own people. 
Remember, the whole purpose of God's people allow, or God allowing his people to be taken into exile, to be taken captive by Babylon, was intended to take the unfaithfulness of God's people and bring about repentance and refine them so they can worship God and worship God alone. So chapter six, this is a turning point. This is God restoring the prosperity back to his people, allowing them to go back to their land, to rebuild the temple, and to demonstrate full allegiance to God. Now, before that happens, though, there is one more lesson that God's people needed to learn. The lesson that's found in the example of Daniel here in Daniel chapter six. It is a lesson on what it means to stand firm. What it means to stand firm. Look, standing firm is not just a lesson needed for God's people some 2,600 years ago. This is a lesson that you need to learn today, that I need to learn today that you need to know how to stand firm in your faith in the workplace when you are tempted to compromise, when you're tempted uh, either to compromise morally or ethically, or to keep your faith a secret, to make sure no one else knows that you're a believer. Like you need to know how to stand firm, mom and dad, when you're raising your child, your children, according to what God's word has to say and not what's popular in culture. Like you need to know how to stand firm, student, when you're at school, when your classmates make fun of you or mock you because you're a Christian. Look, we all need to learn to stand firm because of the culture that we live in is growing more and more antagonistic towards Christianity, and it's only the beginning. The pressure that we feel from the world around us, that pressure is going to grow more and more intense. And Daniel knew all about what that means and what that looked like. And I think Daniel here demonstrates three principles for what it takes to stand firm in a culture that wants us to compromise. So three principles here this morning as we begin uh, Daniel chapter 6. Here's the first one. Daniel demonstrates what it looks like to have a distinguished diligence in public. In the public. Verse 1, we notice it follows exactly what happened at the end of uh, Daniel chapter 5 that because of King Belshazzar's hardened heart, he not only loses his kingdom and the empire of Babylon, but he actually ends up dying. King Darius and the Persians take over. And what we notice Darius doing in verse 1 is he's putting his empire in order, he's setting up the right governmental structure, putting the right people in power. And this included old Daniel. Daniel's in his 80s at this point in time. And yet the text tells us that he is one of three of the most powerful, influential people in all of the Persian empire. Apparently Darius uh, valued continuity, but the text also tells us that Darius saw something unique, something different in old Daniel. Verse three tells us that Daniel had an excellent spirit. That word could also mean extraordinary. Literally means to go over and beyond. That's what Daniel did. He went over and beyond what was required. Verse four explains that Daniel was faithful, that there was no fault about him. There was no complaints that people could come up against Daniel. And this diligence made him distinguished among his peers. And look, we should not overlook that. 
that Daniel was faithful out in the public, outside of his own home, outside of his church, rubbing shoulders with the world to such a degree that his coworkers, his neighbors, his Persian barista, if you will, all of these people knew that there was something different about Daniel, that Daniel followed Yahweh. There was something unique about him. Daniel lived in the world, but not of the world. Daniel had been a, a strategic member of all of these successive governments. So notice the example he's setting for us. Daniel refused to retreat from the world and isolate, but he also refused to completely receive the world and adopt its worldview. Daniel used his gifts, his time, his energy, his experience, his strengths to help Babylon and now Persia flourish. He did, as Jeremiah 29, 7 says, to seek the welfare of the city where I, God, sent you into exile and prayed to the Lord on its behalf. And he did this all the while, refusing to compromise in his convictions, and he did not allow his commitment to the state to shape how he lived out his faith. Daniel was faithful, diligent, without faults. Now, could the same be said about you this morning? In your workplace, in your neighborhood, among your friends, at school, are you faithful? Are you diligent? Are you without faults? And in the public, right? In the private, that's where we can kind of control the variables. We can control, unless you have small kids, you can kind of control the environment. But out in public, do people know that you're a follower of Jesus? Or is that more of a secret? Is that more of a need-to-know basis only? Look, in order for us to stand firm, we must be willing to stand out in our faith in the public. So let me challenge you with the example of Daniel here to be trustworthy, to be excellent in your work, to do the things that you say that you will do, to show up when you're supposed to show up, to be faithful, to be ethical, to, to be an encourager at work, to be kind, to not steal the stamps in the break room. Be diligent and make it known that you're a follower of Jesus, not because you have a Christian bumper sticker on your car or because you wear a cross around your neck or you wear Christian t-shirts, but because as Jesus says in Matthew 5, let your light shine, that your good deeds leads others to praise your Father who is in heaven. Let your light shine. Be diligent. Be a faithful follower of Jesus out in the public. Look, if your life doesn't look any different than other people in the world, besides the fact you don't sleep in on Sundays, then what does that say about your faith? What does that say about your ability to stand firm when the heat from the culture around us gets turned up? But can I also point out the reality that the chapter six faithfulness of Daniel actually began in chapter one. In other words, this courageous, bold obedience of Daniel in the lion's den didn't just magically appear in Daniel's life all of a sudden in his 80s. 
No, it was a culmination of day in, day out, week in, week out, year in, year out of faithfulness to the Lord that culminated in this moment of Daniel in the lion's den. In other words, the teenage Daniel in chapter one, who stood up to King Nebuchadnezzar and said, King, you can relocate me, you can rename me, you can re-educate me, but you will not remoralize me and force me to go against the standards in God's word about what I will eat, right? Daniel drew a line in the sand and said, this is my line, I will not compromise, I will not cross it. That same teenage Daniel continued in his obedience, continued in his diligence in following God year after year, decade after decade, culminating in this moment of Daniel chapter six of extreme faithfulness to God. Look, if, if we call it a spade a spade this morning, we, we all want the, the lion's den moment of standing firm. We all want kind of this mic-dropping, statement-making faithfulness to God of being extremely bold for God and his kingdom. But how many of us want the quiet, ordinary, small, basic, minute obedience of God in diligently following him day in and day out when it goes largely unnoticed? Right? There's no Daniel 6 without the daily unnoticed diligence of following after God. Let me also point out the fact that Daniel's in his 80s and he's facing one of the strongest temptations of his life. Seems to tell us that the Christian life does not get easier, friends. It seems as though that the Christian life gets harder in some ways. It's not as if when you begin the Christian life, that's all the difficulty. No, it seems like towards the end, there's a temptation to maybe throw in the towel, to, to maybe not follow after the Lord with as, with as much passion as you had when you began the Christian life. And so those of you who are here today and you're what we like to call seasoned, you've been around the block once or twice. I wonder if you can hear the challenge from the example of Daniel here in his 80s, finishing strong. I want you to receive this this morning. You who are seasoned, even though I'm a young pastor, receive what God's word has to say to you today. The challenge is for you to stand firm until the end, to finish well, finish strong. If you're seasoned today and you're still running the Christian race, the Christian life, you're not done running. Finish well. Do not throw in the towel. Do not compromise and, and let decades of faithfulness go by the wayside because you're going to do something foolish. Finish well. Do not believe the lies of the enemy who wants to convince you that just because you're old, you don't have purpose. Or, or, or to believe the lie of the enemy that says finishing well is insignificant. No, run with all that is within you, the, the Christian race, until you finish that finish line, until you cross it over and you stand before God, you stand before your Savior, and you've poured yourself out for the gospel. You've, you've selflessly died to yourself. You've gone all in until the very end so you can stand before God Almighty, and he looks you in the eyes and he says, well done. Well done, good and faithful servants. 
Like, don't give up now. If you are nearing the end, the last lap of the Christian life, finish strong. Look, if you are seasoned, you need to know this, that you have everyone else in your life, everyone else in this room. We're watching you. We're looking at you. We're we're cheering you on. We want you to finish well. So show us. Give us an example of what true perseverance, true steadfastness looks like in the face of opposition. Finish strong so that when we are celebrating your life at your future funeral, that for some of us, it's years and years and years down the road. For some of us, it's not that far away. Show us what true steadfastness looks like so that when we are celebrating your life, we might say as a church, they finished well. They finished strong. Imitate this person. Finish well. And God's faithful. He who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. And for those of us who are not so seasoned, the challenge is for us to understand that you'll never be tomorrow who you are not becoming today. That the chapter six faithfulness exists because of years of diligence. So for those of us who are not seasoned Resolve today to be the kind of person that you want to be in your 80s if the Lord tarries. Set the trajectory of your life on being a faithful, obedient, diligent follower of the Lord, just like Daniel. As Eugene Peterson put it, it's the long obedience in the same direction. So that's the first principle. That's why we're spending a couple of weeks on this chapter The second one, though, that I see in verses 4 through 9 is Daniel demonstrated having this expectation of opposition. In verses 4 through 9, Daniel does experience opposition. We notice that these other government officials despised the old Jewish Yahweh following Daniel, and they wanted to end him. They didn't like how high up he was on the org chart. And so they're trying to come up with things about Daniel. In verse 4, they can't come up with anything. He's got excellent character, excellent work, and, but they do come up with something. They, they came up with something that would force Daniel to choose between obeying the law of the states from obeying the law of God. And what's so interesting here, I don't know if you notice this in the reading, but verse 6 and other places, we see that these government officials agree, which is so bizarre. You have all these politicians from both sides, all sides, every side, agreeing. They are aligning on a plan. That's very rare. But on the other hand, they have a common enemy, God, Yahweh. And so their plan is that they go to King Darius and they convince him to sign this new law, this new policy that would forbid anyone to pray to their God, their deity, their idol, whatever, except for King Darius for 30 days. And he signed it. He agreed to this. Now for us, this seems random. This seems like, why this policy? But what we need to understand is that King Darius, as he's settling into his new empire, had a different approach when it came to foreign gods and foreign deities. This is different than his predecessors, but King Darius actually allowed these images and other idols and other deities 
these images to be actually taken back to its proper place, whether it was a temple or a religious site. And this took some time. And so these clever politicians convinced the king that, hey, as all these idols and images and these religious instruments and vessels are being put back in its proper place, let's sign this new policy where no one can pray to their own God because they're not properly set up anyways. Let's just pray to you, King Darius. That'll show their loyalty to the empire. And Darius agreed. And what's so challenging, though, is Daniel's response. This is incredible. Verse 10, it says that once Daniel found out about this new policy, he went and he prayed. He went and he prayed. Daniel didn't freak out. He didn't panic. He didn't start a petition. He didn't go on a rant on social media. He prayed. Why? How is he standing so firm in his faith by praying no matter the consequences? It's because of Daniel's worldview. It's because he expected opposition as he was being faithful to the Lord. This didn't surprise him. Daniel didn't expect a pagan empire to operate under biblical principles, so he's not surprised. Daniel had an understanding of the world where there's a cosmic battle going on between good and evil, right and wrong, light and darkness. And this new policy here is evidence of the kingdom of darkness wanting to assert its values and its principles, but Daniel's unshaken. He's not surprised at this. And the point here for us is to understand that for us to stand firm, it requires us to be so alert that opposition does not dismantle our confidence in the Lord. And the reason why we're going to be unshaken to stand firm no matter the opposition that we face, it's because we believe in what the Bible says. Like we understand that when we experience opposition, it's exactly what has been predicted in God's word. As Paul's writing to Timothy, he says, all who live a godly life will be persecuted. Jesus said in John 15, if you follow me, the world will hate you. Apostle Peter said in chapter 4, verse 12, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings. Look, I think the call for us is to make sure that we're reading our Bible and interpreting the world through it rather than reading the world and interpreting the Bible through it. Because if we understand that this is the authority, that, that this is our guide, this is what we are, we are relying upon, you won't be surprised at opposition to the point where it shakes you in your faith. You'll be ready. You'll have the lines drawn already, and you'll be able to stand firm. This is what Paul says in Ephesians 6. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might." Put on the whole armor of God that you may, may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, 
Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil days, having done all to stand firm. So church, expect opposition and stand firm in God's word. Thirdly here, the last principle that Daniel demonstrates before us is consistent character in private. All right, so we have this diligence out in public, out in the world. We have this attitude, this alertness about expecting opposition. But then here we have who we are in private to make sure that we have consistent character. Now, if I were to ask you, what's the most shocking verse in all of chapter six? I wonder what you would say. What's the verse that surprises you the most? I mean, a lot of us would probably say verse 22, that Daniel doesn't get eaten by the lions. Maybe others of us would say maybe verse 2, that Daniel in his 80s is put uh, in charge of so much, has so much influence at such an older age. But for me, it's verse 10. Verse 10 is unbelievable that Daniel knows about the old ultimatum. He knows about the new policy that if he prays, the consequences is death, a horrendous death, and yet he stands firm. It's not in the text here, but you have to wonder if he was ever tempted to compromise. Man, I feel like I'd be tempted to compromise if I'm honest with you this morning. I just wonder if some of these thoughts would be swimming around in my mind wondering, well, it's only 30 days. I've been following after the Lord for decades. Now, what's 30 days without prayer? Or maybe thinking, well, I'll I'll go pray in the dark so no one will see me. I feel like all of these justification-type thoughts will be swimming around in my mind. And yet for Daniel, he stands firm and doesn't compromise. It's unbelievable. I think the, the phrase that should be underlined in our Bibles is the phrase where it says, as he has done previously. Verse 10 says that Daniel had a regular practice of prayer three times a day. His prayer life was regular, not sporadic. His prayer life was consistent, not erratic. And that's because what we see here is his public behavior matched his private behavior. In other words, there were no gaps between who Daniel was in the spotlight out in public and who he was privately in his own home when he was alone. His character was consistent. Isn't that challenging? My youngest, Milo, is almost two. Turns two in a couple weeks, which is hard to believe, but he's been in this stage where he takes a chair and he pushes it up against a wall so he can find a light switch. And he's in that mode where he turns it on, turns it off, turns it on, turns it off, and he just starts laughing. He thinks it's so much, it's so funny because he's got power. He's got authority. He can, you know, change the room, right? And he gets a reaction from his sisters. I was watching him do that, turning it on, turning it off, turning it on, turning it off. And I thought, man, doesn't that describe one of our greatest temptations in the Christian life? Turn it on. I'm a good Christian. I'm spiritual, and then to turn it off. It's me time. It's time to recharge, right? When I'm out in public, when I'm at church on Sundays, when I'm with my friends, I'm turning it on. Maybe after a long day at work, a long day with the kids, I come home, and I'm going to turn that off. It's time for me to recharge. Turn it on, 
off, on, off. And I think that is the source for a lot of our inconsistent character. I think that's where we have gaps in our character, in who we are publicly and who we are privately, because we turn it on and we turn it off. Church, let me remind us that the biblical concept of me time, I don't find it anywhere in the scriptures. Me time, time for me to recharge in the sense of turning it off, you're not going to find that in the scriptures. When the Bible talks about me, it talks about putting me to death. It talks about denying myself, picking up my cross daily and following after the Lord. But that's an aside. So what about you this morning? Do you have any gaps in your character? Do you find yourself turning it on, turning it off, depending on who you're with, depending on where you are? Is your character consistent or inconsistent? I do wonder, as we see Daniel here, if there are gaps, I wonder if it's because of an inconsistent prayer life. It's hard to be consistently following up the Lord when you're not spending time with the Lord. And just by way of application this morning, just imagine for a moment if there was a new law that was passed and said, hey, no more praying for 30 days. Church, that includes you. New policy comes through, hey, if you pray, you're going to be executed. Imagine if that were to take place today. For the next 30 days, no prayer. Would that impact your life at all? Would that impact your relationship with the Lord? I just wonder if some of us would say, okay, I guess it's against the law to pray. I'm not too upset about that because now I don't have to feel that nagging guilt because I don't pray all that often anyways. Or maybe others of us would say, well, yeah, it doesn't really impact me. I only pray before my meals anyway, so I guess I'll get back that 13 minutes a month. Or maybe others of us where our prayer life, it's so shallow, it doesn't really impact our intimacy with the Lord, our obedience to the Lord, our fight against sin. Look, can I say this? This is convicting for us all. I mean, all I have to do is preach a sermon on prayer, evangelism, and giving, and we feel the weight of that. So look, this hits us all in terms of understanding that if we want to stand firm, if we want to be consistent in our character, we've got to connect to the God of the universe, the living God who provides the power and the means to stand firm with consistent character. And Daniel stood strong and he trusted in the Lord even when he was thrown into the lion's den. But have you ever wondered why Daniel was so confident in the Lord's protection? Where did Daniel learn to stand firm and trust in God? Well, the answer, it wasn't in the lion's den. It was in his prayer closet. Daniel didn't build his faith in the lion's den. He built his faith when he was on his knees. That the battle that he faced in the lion's den, it didn't build up his faith, it revealed his faith. Like our trust in the Lord, our ability to stand firm is directly connected to our time with the Lord. And Daniel did it three times a day, day after day, week after week, month after month, faithfully, consistently, regularly sought after the Lord. See, why do we have gaps? Why do we have so much inconsistency 
It's because while Daniel prayed consistently, we often pray occasionally. And it's not what we do occasionally that makes the difference. It's what we do consistently. So standing firm, refusing to compromise requires us to be diligent in the public, to expect opposition, and to make sure that our character is consistent in our private lives. Every day, we choose to turn it on, moment by moment, surrendering to the Lord and in his grace and mercy, standing firm. Let's pray together. God, we give you praise that you do provide everything that we need to stand firm. God, you've provided not only salvation, you've provided not only grace, you've not only provided your word, but God, you've given us your armor to be able to put on, to stand firm against the schemes of our enemy. God, I pray as we live out our faith from a a daily basis, Lord, that you would help us, Lord, to stand firm upon your promises, Lord, to resist the temptations to compromise, and Lord, that we would have a dependency upon you, that our time with you, Lord, our, our ability to connect with you would be fresh, would be daily, would be regular. So God, use us, Lord, as we live out our faith throughout this week. Give us opportunities to shine the light and to be salt. We pray in Jesus' name.